I'm pleased to be with you this morning. Um, as John said, uh, we uh, you might know that this weekend we were talking about given to Jesus. That's the theme of the conference. And this past Friday, I shared a message on given to Jesus, everything given to Jesus. Well, today we're going to take a look at something that is very personal. My life given to Jesus. One of the things that I do, as John shared, I am involved in, have been involved over the years, uh, last 30 years, in numerous aspects of ministry with Evangelical Free Church of America and Reach Global. And over the past several years in particular, I've returned my focus to Africa. I travel there fairly frequently, five, six times a year. And... um, One of the things that is near and dear to my heart is one of the ministries that we were involved in early on as a family, and and that was in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and particularly a medical ministry. One of the churches in the Evangelical Free Church recently has been helping with the remodeling and refurbishing of a 60-year-old hospital building. Uh, We're we just finished the pediatric wing. We're just getting going. We're almost finished with the surgical wing. And uh, just remodeling the building, revamping it, bringing it up to, up to date. One of the things that I've found, though, as I've walked through the hospital is that uh, this is a concrete block uh, structure. And one of the things that we found is that there are a lot of fissures in the wall, a lot of cracks. For any of you who are involved in any dimension of construction, you say, well, the foundation. So 60 years ago, when this foundation was laid, it probably was not done as well as it could have been. Uh, it serviced a great deal of people over the years. But even now, as we look to remodel, we have to address some of these issues underlying the fact that these Walls are starting to crack. In our faith, when we look at our own lives, unless we address those issues that are foundational in our own lives, we will never, never be of any great value. And here this morning, as we take a look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, There are some things in this passage of Scripture that point us back to those things that are foundational. And it's important for us to remember, before we launch out into anything that will ever be effective, we pull back the reins a little bit and address the issues that are foundational, both to our faith as well as to our life and ministry. So, if you would... This morning, stand with me, and let's read Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Father, I pray that the truths from your word would touch our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Block all of the things that have busyness in our minds and hearts this morning. Things that have preoccupied us even this morning before coming to church. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. That we would not only listen, but that we would respond. We give you authority over our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. to me, 
because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. That was Francis Chan at the 2006 Evangelical Free Church Challenge Youth Conference. You know, the one of the realities that we... Uh, that we need to address as we consider the, those things that are foundational to here we go that are foundational to our faith and to our relationship with Jesus is that we need to be living in the presence of Jesus for all of those who have put their faith in Christ alone there will one day be one of those V8 moments when in the presence of the king of the universe we realize that we could have all those things that we could have done how we really did not need to fear how obedience could have been so much easier and how humanity too often got in the way of our living our faith And at the time we were doing all of that, we didn't even know it. As I mentioned, I've been working in Africa for nearly 30 years now. I know, I don't look it. But there's still many things that I don't understand about Africa. The African worldview is, to me, the biggest elephant. And it comes when it comes to not being able to wrap my mind around why people think the way they do, the people that I am very close to, the people that I work with. I understand, I've become a student of it, and I understand the African worldview. But there's still so much that I need to learn. One of those realities is the fact that in the context For those who are part of an African worldview, who hold an African worldview, there is no separation between the physical and the spiritual. In other words, if anything happens to you physically, it's because of a spiritual issue. Well, we know better, right? Our history demonstrates to us that science prevails. Right? I mean, germs, they're not from the evil one. In other words, it's not because of our sin nature that we caught a cold, right? Now, the reality is is that too often some of the things that we so easily separate from those things that are spiritual probably shouldn't be separated. So as I deal with these people in Africa who have a hard time separating 
those things that are physical from those things that are spiritual. I'll be sharing a little bit more in just a minute about how that plays out. I think our history impacts much of who we are. Science is essentially an explanation of the universe and how it functions, and so it's rational for us. Just this past um, spring, almost a year ago, I had the privilege, and unbeknownst to me at the time, I was asked to speak at a science class for a, in a local university. And the more I started researching why I had been asked to go there, I thought, oh, this is really nice. They said, you have to defend creationism. And I thought, whoa, I haven't studied that one in a while. So I started digging into what evolution is all about and, and the defense of it. And, you know, one of the things that I began to realize is that even the kids in the class who professed to be Christians, many of them said that evolution is totally okay. Parents, have you ever told your kids that evolution's bunk? It's built on a ton of hypotheses that are inaccurate. In fact, if you need something to substantiate that, Google descent to Darwinism. There's a long list of people who are much smarter than I who say, I think you ought to reconsider this whole Darwinian kind of evolution theory. It's a very long list. They're not even necessarily believers. Our history impacts, our culture impacts. The things that we assume are right are not always necessary, necessarily right or accurate. And it all impacts our faith. You see, one of the things that, that we, those who are in, I don't, I don't claim to be Scandinavian and I'm a little bit proud of it. Um, in fact, I have German ancestry, so I'm very at home here in Sheboygan and most of Wisconsin. Um, but the reality is, is the majority of those who come into, have come into the Evangelical Free Church or began the Evangelical Free Church movement are from Scandinavian background. And the reality is, is that the, his, historically the, the Scandinavians were you know, very private about their faith. Don't ask me about you know, what I believe. Um, you know, that's personal. Uh, don't ask me if I'm having quiet times or studying God's word or how much I'm doing it. That's kind of personal. How many times have you shared your faith this week? It's a little, it's a little personal, isn't it? You know, one of the realities of this is that it ends up playing out in a way that we have seen even on the mission field because the majority of what we see on the mission field has been carried there by people who have grown up within that culture. So things that we have assumed here in the West are carried internationally, around the world. And one of the things that we've seen take place, and it's a question that often comes up, is how can the church in Africa 
when there are so many people that go to church on Sunday, be in such conflict. Look at Rwanda. Genocide that annihilates hundreds of thousands of people. Or the fighting that takes place in countries is consistently taking place in countries all around Africa. How can it be when the church is everywhere? People are filling the pews or benches or logs or whatever they sit on. One of the things that we've seen again and again is that the emphasis has been more on evangelism and less on discipleship. And it's because of that, because of the lack of asking those questions that are hard questions of people who claim faith in Christ. It's because of that that we are seeing these things take place. The church, as they've said again and again, is, is a mile wide but an inch deep. And this whole reality that the physical and the spiritual actually do have something in common. You see, we live in a kingdom. And it's our responsibility to break out of these molds that constrain us. God has called us to something more. We are to live continually in his presence. I love my wife a lot. And one of the things that I found is that the more you love someone, the more you want to serve them. And as a servant, you look for ways to make them happy, to please them. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was backing my wife's car out. She works at the local high school, and so... In the morning, I'd go out and back her car out and have it ready for her in the morning. And I had it turned around, like most guys, you know, have it pointed out so that she's ready to go. She said, you know, I really don't like it when you turn my car around. And I never even thought of that. She said, well, our, our driveway's on the north side of the house, so ice collects on the north side of the house. She doesn't like to walk too much on the driveway. And so she prefers that the... I back it straight out so the door is right close to the bottom of the stairs. And she can hop right in the car rather than walk around the car. I thought, that's simple. So I started to do that. Back it straight out. In the same way, and I think you've been hearing this in the discipleship series over the last four weeks, right? A disciple is what? A learner, right? And the whole idea of discipleship begins now. Not when we get to heaven, right? Begins now. And the reality is is that as we are living out our faith, we do it as learners. Who do you spend the most time with? The people you love, right? Right? Who do you love the most? Are you sitting as a learner to please the one you love the most?
You see, Dr. Craig Ott from uh, Trinity Seminary, who's also with Reach Global, um, says, the kingdom is everywhere Christ is king. The kingdom of God is everywhere where Christ is king. And so how do you serve your king? Are you living in the presence of the king presently, continually, consistently, and wanting to learn more about who he is? It's an important part because whether we realize it or not, we do live in the presence of the king. But we do, do we seek to please him with our lives? We also live under the, the authority of Jesus. The past, uh, this past year, we have been implementing uh, a brand new edition of the Iwana program in Democratic Republic of Congo. There has never before been an official uh, training of Iwana in Congo, and so it's been very easy for us because not only was there a request for a children's program, but there was also the need for something to be able to, to, to fit that bill. So what we did is we worked with Awana, and they completely changed their program so that it, was, it became an orality edition of the Awana program. There are no books. There are no shirts. There are no pins, whatever else they have. None of that. But there is a large group time, uh, a game time, excuse me, the game time. There is the large group time, and then there's the small group time. And the large group time looks just a little bit like this. The director gets up, guy who shares the story, and he says, in Matthew chapter 8, There's a story about Jesus that I'd like to share with you. And it goes like this. He got in the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly there was a large storm, and the waves began coming in over the boat. But Jesus was asleep. And they came to him and woke him up and said, Lord, save us, we're dying. And he said, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And he stood up and rebuked the wind and the seas, and it became perfectly calm. And they were amazed. And they said, Who is this man that even the wind and the seas obey him? And that's the end of the story. And then the leader goes on to ask questions. He says something like, Were the disciples afraid? How do you know they were afraid? What did they say? Were you listening to the story? How do you know they were afraid? What did they say? 
Save us, we're going to die. Was Jesus afraid? What did Jesus say? Why are you afraid? What? You men of little faith. Do we need to be afraid? No. You see, each one of us experiences storms in our life. We cross seas that are tumultuous. Big word. Stupid word. Tumultuous. But the reality is is that unless we are capable of placing our fears on Christ, we will never truly reflect him. See, the African worldview, this is what I was sharing before, is demonstrated very clearly in a a situation that's taking place, that recently took place in Congo. Um, I don't know if I've got the next one here. Here we go. Uh, we have a program called the Elikia program. It's called Elikia because Elikia mean, means hope in Lingala. And it provides job skill training for widows, orphans, unwed mothers, and people with disabilities, kind of the what you would consider the dregs of society, the, want, the unwanted. And allows them to become members of society that have a meaningful existence, productive members of society. So... Anyhow, this last year, there, there, this past year, there have been 40 kids that are part of this, in addition to some widows and orphans. And out of the 40, there were nine kids that had hernias. Well, from an African worldview perspective, nothing physical happens outside of the, a spiritual realm, right? So... There's got to be some excuse, and somebody must have put a curse on us because we're all going to get hernias. And suddenly all the students were afraid, thinking, oh, no, I'm going to have to have an operation because I'm here at Alikia. That's African worldview. And so much of their worldview is driven by fear. Now, we would say, oh, They lifted too much, right? They were working too hard, doing the wrong thing. But to them, it means everything. You see, we have the advantage as believers to know the end of the story. In other words, we can look at the end of the book and say, we are more than conquerors. We win in the end. And that no matter what we face, no matter what storms are on the seas of life, we win. Because God is faithful. It's the same message we share with these these kids who are at Alikia to give them hope. Lastly, we need to realize that we need to live in obedience to Jesus. One of the things that I have 
that has been impressed on me over the last couple of months is how the people of Israel, when they were in Egypt, and going through these multiple plagues, why, why, why did that even happen? What was the meaning? What, why did God want all that to happen? Why did it need to happen? And the more I, I began to look at that, the more I began to realize that from an eternal perspective, God was looking down on his people. A people who really didn't know him. You remember that even Moses was getting to know God through the burning bush, through the miracles that were taking place. And more and more, he was beginning to put his trust in this God. And so these people, as they were going through these plagues, which were horrendous, about midway through the plagues, they didn't happen to the Israelites anymore, but they continued to happen to the Egyptians. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, was exercising an experience on these people in a way that was allowing them to be able to trust in him in a way they'd never trusted him before. To get to know who he is. See, trust is foundational in every relationship. It's the beginning of every relationship that has any value. Our being able to trust Being able to trust God is the beginning of our relationship with him. He wants us to know him, to love him, but until we can trust him, it's meaningless. You see, in the same way, for you and me, if we look at the fact that here in in, uh, Matthew 28, Eight through, or 18 through 20, it's, it's talking about the command here of Jesus' go and make disciples. But as we're going, foundationally, it's not so much the issue of making disciples as what kind of disciples are we making. And he's saying... Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Those are the kinds of disciples that I want you to make. But how can you teach? How will people listen unless they can trust you? You see, our faith is expressed in the things we do, the things we say, the way we live out our life. Unless we're living in the presence of Christ continually, we will never clearly represent that Christ to the people that we are told to disciple. And it begins with trust. In other words, do your actions match your faith? I love to learn. In this example here, the LSST, what is that? It is a large synoptic survey telescope. 
I visit my in-laws about once a year, go to Arizona, get away from the cold. It's wonderful. One of the things I do is I love to be with my geeky brother-in-law. And we go and learn stuff, things that we'd never known before. And one of the things we went to just this last year was a place associated with the University of Arizona that makes lenses for telescopes. And this one here, the LSST, is the telescope of all telescopes. If you look at it here uh, on the, make sure it's right here. On the left-hand side, you see these rays coming in. They bounce off of of a reflective lens back to a lens, to a lens, and then to a focal point. At the focal point is this camera that is like thousands of megapixels. It's way bigger. It's the biggest camera there is, okay? And they plan with this to be able to take pictures of outer space. And they're fairly, they're not long-term exposures like most cameras. It's short-term so that they can map outer space. And then they're able to go back and play a picture, like one picture every day, they take a picture every day, and then they make a movie out of that over a period of time so that you can see the changes in outer space. Okay, it's geeky. So anyhow, these lenses, the place where they make them is at the University of Arizona, and we, got the, we had the privilege of being able to take a tour of this place, and they're making these mirrors... So, it's just unbelievable how accurate these mirrors are. In other words, the dimensions across the size of this mirror, which is about 8 meters, 20, 25 feet, is within 5 nanometers. 5 nanometers is about the size of a germ. Okay? And the accuracy of these mirrors, their capacity to reflect exactly the image that they're bringing in without any distortion, is precise. It pulls in both light as well as the absence of light or darkness. And then it takes a picture of that. How do we reflect the image of Christ? How true is it? What do people see in our lives? We're sinful. It's inevitable that they're going to see some darkness. But the truth is that God calls us to be like him, holy. He's called us to reflect Christ in all that we do to our children, to our co-workers. Tonight, we want to take a look at ministry, how ministry should happen through everyone to those in our context. But I want to ask you and challenge you right now, what is God calling you to do? to reflect his image more clearly to those we impact.